Now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and that you would breathe life into your word to us this morning. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm really, I'm really sorry to have to share today uh, that it, that it has been a tough week uh, for me and my family, and uh, I've shared this re just recently. So I really hope that it doesn't become a refrain. Um, but it, it is. It's been a tough one, and it really has felt to me like I've been running on empty, uh, as the sermon title suggests. So just to fill you in, as some of you don't know, on Tuesday night, uh, Becky and I had to take Adeline to emergency because she was having real trouble breathing. Um, and, you know, I know we've, again, throughout the year been sharing her struggles uh, with health. And uh, she couldn't stop coughing. There was heaving, there was wheezing, there was gasping for air. So took her to hospital. And uh, there was none of this long waiting stuff that we usually have to deal with. They were pushed right through, which was good, but also kind of scary. And uh, the doctor told Becky that Adeline did have a lung infection and that if we'd waited until morning, it would almost certainly have developed into pneumonia. They prescribed some pretty strong medications, some steroid injections to get things going. When I went to pick up the prescriptions uh, the next day, the pharmacists showed an alarming sense of urgency and were talking in hushed tones. So, so that was pretty scary too. And uh, Adeline as well was white as a ghost, uh, coughing away, gasping for air for a couple days there. So um, I know some of you have been praying for her, uh, as I know my mom shared about this at Bible study uh, with some of you. Uh, so I'm thankful for that. It is appreciated. And her color is coming back and she is. Uh, her breathing does seem to be improving slowly. So we are continuing, though, to deal with this at home. This is uh, an ongoing struggle. Becky's been off of work looking after Adeline while I've been trying to keep things going here at Open Gate Church, trying to finish reports for the uh, the AGM that's coming up here. And, you know, and added to this, there's been some other business going on that that's also required a lot of, of time and certainly a lot of energy. Um, and to be honest, it's just a lot and it's exhausting. And so... Yesterday, I, I was here at setup, and it really just felt like putting one foot in front of another was effort. Um, but I was still, you know, dealing with all these things, as well as trying to find time to finish this sermon that I'd barely started. Um, and so I'm just confessing to you now, there's more quotations than normal <laughs> in this one. Um, I've cut and pasted a portion of a sermon from before, uh, which you'll see when we get there. And I don't know if that means it's going to be better or worse. I mean, we're going to hear a lot from Daryl Johnson. He's good. So <laughs> I hope it's not that much better than usual. Um, but anyway, as I as I did keep coming back to working on this sermon, uh, back to our beatitude that we're looking at this week, it just was so apparent that the living word of God speaks in a timely way. And that this beatitude has something to say to all of us, something to say to me today. Um, and as I said, I've been running on empty this week, but but this uh, preparing for this sermon has helped me see that emptiness isn't always such a bad thing. So this week we turn to to the sixth uh, beatitude. 
been going through them all. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. As we've been doing, we, we always start looking at some of the Greek words in there, and the word here comes from the Greek word katharos. Uh, it's used literally in the Bible to mean pure, clean, or unsoiled, clear. Uh, you know, it, it makes me think of how you here in Victoria, we're lucky to have drinking water that's mostly pure. That's not the case everywhere in the world, and certainly even not everywhere in Canada. That's the idea of this clean, pure water. But the word pure is also used figuratively uh, quite a lot in the Bible to describe things being innocent, guiltless, void of evil. However, purity of heart isn't the same thing as purity of actions, as we've been observing as we've gone through the Ten Commandments and now the Beatitudes. It's not the same thing as simply doing the right thing or simply doing nothing wrong. The word also means upright. It means virtuous. It means sincere. And we've seen throughout the year that throughout his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching that what's important is not just the external actions following the law, it's not purity culture, but the intentions behind the laws, what's going on on the insides, inside our hearts. So when Jesus describes purity of heart, he's definitely talking about what's going on on the inside. But does purity of heart just mean your intentions? This Greek word for pure, katharos, is also connected to the root of an English word that many of you may be familiar with, catharsis. Uh, so if anyone spent any time looking into the history and culture of ancient Greece, you'll know that theater was a huge part of their culture. Three of the most famous Greek plays or dramas include Oedipus Rex, by Sophocles, Prometheus Bound by Aeschylus, and Medea by Euripides. These are all tragedies. They all end poorly for the main character. And the Greeks loved watching a good tragedy because it brought on what they called catharsis. The belief was that if you weep at the tragic fate of Oedipus Rex and his family, you purge yourself of those emotions. Those emotions which, when left unchecked or pent up, can stew, boil over, and cause harm both to yourself or to others. So this catharsis was like emptying yourself of these harmful emotions. Like it was based, well, it was like if you're holding your breath for a long time and all of a sudden you've got all this carbon dioxide filling up your lungs. Empty your lungs, you breathe out and then take in new breath pressure full of oxygen. But the catharsis Jesus teaches about isn't just that we should go and watch a sad movie, have a good cry, and feel better afterwards. So what does catharsis, this emptying of ourselves, look like in the Bible? What does it have to do with the beatitude? What does it have to do with purity of heart? What does it have to do with seeing God? Start by taking a look at Exodus, Exodus 33, Beginning at verse 18, when we read that Moses, we read that Moses was talking with God. He was interceding on behalf of the Israelites. He was asking God to have mercy on them for their sinfulness. And he said to God, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, 
and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Thank you very much, Moses. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. That's my job, not yours, Moses. But, he said, cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. When my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of a rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed. Then I will remove my hand. You'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. No one could see God live. This was because no sinner was worthy to enter into his holy presence. And so when God gave Moses instructions to build the tabernacle and later the temple, it was constructed with curtain separating the people from God's presence. And this is why in Isaiah 6-5, when God calls the prophet Isaiah to serve him, Isaiah's response is, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, of impure lips. I am a sinner, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I live among sinners. Yet my eyes have now seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah recognized this and lamented that he was unclean, he was impure, he was a sinner, and was not permitted into God's presence, but now that he was in God's presence, he was probably going to die because no one may see God and live. And we see the same recognition and the same response in Luke 5, 8, the story we talked about with the children this morning. Simon Peter witnessed Jesus perform the miracle of filling their empty nets with fish. Simon Peter was astonished because he recognized the miracle as a demonstration of the presence of God. This was his first step in recognizing who Jesus was. We know it took him a while to figure it all out. But when, Jesus, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He was afraid. Both the reactions of Isaiah and Peter are appropriate for times when God himself appears to someone. Because in the presence of God, faced with God's holiness, both Isaiah and Peter immediately recognized their sinful nature. They recognized their spiritual bankruptcy. We've been talking about for these last few weeks. So we see again that the pure in heart that Jesus blesses are also first and foremost or in spirit, as the first beatitude suggests. So that, here comes the first quote, as Daryl Johnson puts it, this means that the pure in heart are not perfect, and they know it. Pure in hearts whom Jesus blesses are also those who mourn. They grieve over their, their own sin and the sin of the world. The pure in heart whom Jesus blesses are meek. They know they cannot make it on their own. The pure in heart also hunger and thirst for righteousness, understanding that they've not yet attained it, which again shows us pure in heart does not perfect. The pure in heart are also merciful. Their own poverty of spirit, grief, hunger, and thirst create a tenderness toward and a sympathy for their fellow humans. Pure in heart understand and feel the common human struggles and failures. 
The pure in heart recognize their impurity. They recognize that they are imperfect. But they don't try to hide it. Through this we see that purity of heart has to do with integrity. And we also read this. We read it this morning in Psalm 24, looking at verses 3 to 4, which we see that it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place in his presence? The one who has clean hands and of pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, does not swear deceitfully, Purity of heart has to do with integrity. As one commentary puts it, the pure of heart is the one cleansed of all unworthy motives toward other people. It's those who demonstrate fair and generous dealing one another. Daryl Johnson again suggests that one reading of the sixth beatitude could be, blessed are those who have integrity at center. Blessed are those who know how easy it is to be deceived and to deceive, to play games with reality. And so again here we see a direct correlation to what we talked about in the Ten Commandments, as this directly reminds us what we talked about when we looked at the Ninth Commandment. The Ninth Commandment being, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And we discussed then how bearing false witness takes all kinds of forms. And this is the cut and paste a bit. For those of you that remembered every word of that, I apologize. But if you need a refresher, very false witness can be just telling outright lies, but also even innocently just exaggerating to make the story better. Or just leaving out certain details, only telling some of the truth, telling half-truths when the whole truth is called for. We noted that this isn't the same thing as not disclosing because confidentiality is called for. We also discussed how bearing false witness can also involve passing on a story about one another without first checking all the facts. We're wondering out loud about things that we don't know are true. For example, casual comments such as, noticed such and such about so and so and it kind of makes you wonder if you know what. Maybe you remember that part. How bearing false witness can look like saying so and so said that. They clearly meant this. So Daryl Johnson points out how amazing it is how often and quickly our behavior is wrongly interpreted by others. How often and quickly we wrongly interpret the behavior of others. How often and quickly others think they understand our motives, but are wrong. How often and quickly we think we understand the motives of others, but are wrong. And how this false witness has consequences that hurt others, hurt our neighbors, that hurt the body Christ. This kind of top plant seeds of distrust that can so quickly and easily damage the reputations and dignity of others. And as we've observed, I'm afraid this happens in the church all too frequently. And we kind of reflected on how many of us 
have been hurt by false rumors or by true rumors that shouldn't have been shared or passed about. How our words can harm or heal. And that means we have a choice to make when we speak with one another. Because in any community, especially in the community of the church, relationships require trust. And trust requires telling the truth. Learning to love our neighbor, learning to love one another, means we speak truth to one another. So we are called to be honest, to have integrity, to be pure of heart in all aspects of our lives, in our private dealings as well as in our public statements and life together as God's people. So that Daryl concludes his reflection on integrity, suggesting the sixth beatitude is saying, Blessed are those who crave truth, who seek truth, face truth, tell truth, and live truth. J.B. Phillips presents the sixth beatitude as, Blessed are the utterly sincere. John Stott elaborates, their whole life, public and private, is transparent for God and one another. Purity equals integrity, honesty, transparency. It also means recognizing that we are not perfect, none of us are, but not trying to hide it, not acting like we are. That's why we come together and Confess this together every week. And Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Earlier we read what Simon Peter, Isaiah, and even Moses, that they were afraid to see God because God had made clear for no one may see me and live. But Jesus makes the promise that the pure in heart will see God. And we know by now that Jesus isn't saying we can earn our way to worthiness or just by being good enough, that we know that this isn't possible on our own. But as we heard in our gospel reading today from John 14, we look at beginning at verse 7, Jesus says, If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. As Paul writes to the Colossians, Colossians 1.15, The Son is the image of the invisible God. Next Sunday is Transfiguration Sunday, when we remember the divine glory of Jesus revealed. Gospel of Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse 8, tells us, After six days Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. 
you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking, when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. They recognized that in the presence of Jesus, they were in the presence of God, and they were terrified because they knew no, no one and see God and live. But Jesus didn't hide their eyes. Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. They looked into Jesus' eyes and didn't die. That's because of who he is, what he'd come to do. That's because of Jesus' life and his work on the cross. And we now know that because of this, because of Jesus' work on the cross, Virgin separated God from his people, was torn in two. So because of Jesus, we're no longer forbidden to enter God's presence. The old covenant, the old terms of the relationship between God and his people has been fulfilled through Jesus given way to a new covenant, to new terms. We're no longer forbidden to enter into Jesus, into God's presence. Instead, we're welcomed into it. Instead, he promises that when two or three are gathered in his name, he is with us. In our worship, we can declare, not with fear and trembling, but with confidence and joy, the Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. This means that now when we recognize our spiritual bankruptcy, we can come to him in humility, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. We can come to him emptying ourselves of all the things that have been filling us, all the things we've been hoarding, all the things we've been stewing on, letting boil over, all the nagging pain in our lives, all the pain of our past, all the weight of our sins, can empty ourselves of all these things, replace them, Jesus. Pure and simple desire for Jesus. He is the one who fills us. He makes us pure. Because of this, we can now know we are blessed. Because he has made us and continues to make us as we journey together along our pilgrim's progress, pure heart. As philosopher Peter Kreeft put it, we attain purity of heart, not by imitation of Christ, not by just trying to look like him, but by the incorporation into Christ, by letting him come into that emptiness, into that hole. Christ who has perfect purity of heart. And that's what I've been experiencing this week. That's what I, I've been experiencing over the last few weeks, as I have been running on empty. Uh, when my three-year-old nephew, Godson William, was in hospital just a few weeks ago, I shared that Sunday morning I was left feeling empty, helpless. Only good I could do, the only thing I could do to help, is turn to Jesus, send out a call to all of you, church family, to turn to Jesus with me and pray with me. My daughter Adeline was in hospital this week having trouble breathing. 
I was left feeling empty and helpless. The only good I could do, the only thing I could do to help was turn to Jesus, send out a call to some of you, my church family, to turn to Jesus with me, pray with me. Through all those numerous challenging issues that have come across my desk that we've been dealing with this week, I am left feeling empty. But the only good I can do is turn to Jesus, send out a call to all of you. My church family, turn to Jesus with me, pray with me. Because when we do, we know he's the only one who can fill that emptiness, that God-sized hole, and that by his grace and mercy, he's the one who makes us righteous and has made us righteous. He's the one who makes us and has made us pure of heart. He's the one that allows us to handle all these things with integrity. Because of this, we know that one day we will stand before him in his presence. We don't have to fall on our faces, fear and anxiety and trembling. We can stand before him tall, rest assured. We see God face to face. So now let's pray. And I going to be a little on Anglican here, and I'm going to pray the call it for Transfiguration Sunday ahead. Let's pray. O oh God, who before the passion of your only begotten Son revealed his glory upon the holy mountain, grant that we, beholding by faith light of his countenance may be strengthened to bear our cross and be changed into his likeness from glory to glory through jesus christ our lord who lives and reigns with you holy spirit one god forever and ever now we're going to continue in prayer and invite rodney up to lead us Just uh, have here is as I was sitting there in wonder, life-giving words, Jonathan, this morning to all of us about God's presence and His faithfulness and His when situations are impossible, we seem to be on empty. He is there to fill in and to help and to restore. And to enable. So it's uh, it's a privilege to be one of his, as Jonathan is, 